Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Quick question, though. Just team-wise, you guys, for as long as you've been here, have gone on great stretches, and and there's always been this great potential. And for some reason, it never quite gets over that finish line. Why is this year different? Why do you feel like this team... This manager, it's different. Yeah, here. I, you know, I, I would say it goes back to that. It goes back to, you know, the makeup of the team and the makeup of, of our manager. Um, you know, Buck has uh, been around the game for so long that we're, we're never going to be unprepared for a situation. And we have a lot of veteran guys, guys that have been really good and on the other side of things, sometimes really bad at times. And you need both of those experiences in order to succeed, I, I believe, over a 162-game season. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, Father's Day, June the 19th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. Well, happy Father's Day to everybody in the audience. And I know Sandy Alcantara and this kid, is it Juan Encarnacion? I thought I was at a time warp. This Encarnacion kid getting a hole of one, a grand salami. Seth Lugo didn't have it. Chris Bassett probably was pushed a little bit too far. But anyway, still great weather. Baseball here on this Father's Day. Nice crowd out at City Field. And we have a really, really, really fun show for you. We, it's really, I have a really fun show for you here today. We have... And you heard it coming in. Why are things different for this New York Mets team? They won four of their first six here on the homestand. I keep hearing June swoon, June swoon. They're playing 600 ball in June. It's Father's Day. It's the 20th of June. When's the swoon going to start? So the month's almost over. It's almost 4th of July. Uh, We're going to talk about maybe the Mets having some internal options. Do they have internal options? We have to start examining that more. I think it's going to be really, I talked about this Really hard to make a trade. I think it's going to be really expensive to make a trade. How can that uh, play out? You saw potentially one of those internal options in Tommy Hunter today. We'll see. Francisco Lindor had a heck of a weekend. His mom's in town. Inspirational story. Buck even talked about it. Very quickly, he's turned things around. What is he, third in the league and runs batted in? Well, where does he stand in the history of Mets shortstops? I know it's crazy. He's here, what, five minutes? Basically a year and a half almost, and he's already... Is he the best shortstop in Mets history? We talked about that on Twitter, got into that a little bit. And baseball movies. I was in a cranky mood about a month or five weeks ago. I think it was after the Seattle series. Told you I wanted to talk about this uh, thing over at MLB.com, which I think is actually closed. The the bleacher feature, the thing that they do when they put the the movies out. I wanted to give you my bracket. It's funny. Baseball does such a bad job of promoting itself. Here they have this great thing. It's been locked out for weeks, and there's no, like, maybe I'm missing it. There's no end in sight as to what they're doing with this thing. But I'll talk about it. And, oh, yeah, I got myself into hot water on Twitter by being a nice guy and actually saying the Mets did a good thing. Only I, only your humble little host here could get himself in trouble. So a lot to talk about, and let's get right to it here. So um, you heard what I I said. You know, you heard the way I kind of started this whole thing off. June Swoon is kind of like this paranoia Mets fan. We talked about how negative the fan base, how conditioned the fan base is to, you know, just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And what's funny is, is that really the Mets are maybe, and Joel Sherman's actually talked about this uh, both with the Mets and the Yankees, They actually might be the new market inefficiency. And I know you're looking at me and you're saying, how is that possible? But yeah, the Mets might be the new market inefficiency. And I'll tell you that in a minute. The National League is tough. I know it's tough. And I know that everybody thinks with the injuries, still no Scherzer. That's getting close. Don't know when DeGrom's getting back. McGill's out now. Uh, You know, maybe some of their offense has been of good fortune because they're not hitting a ton of home runs. You're just conditioned. You heard Steve Gelb's great segment with Brandon Nimmo, that Around the Bases segment on SMY, great segment, saying this has happened before. We saw it in 2018. We saw it in 2019. We saw it to a certain degree in 2021, actually for a lot of the season in 2021. 
Why is this year different? Well, the National League is tough. There is going to be a non-playoff team that's pretty good. Maybe it'll be Philly. Maybe it'll be Milwaukee. We've pretty much seen all the playoff teams. We've seen St. Louis. We, you know, we haven't seen a ton of Atlanta, but we know Atlanta's good. We knew that they were going to uh, not win 14 straight and never lose again, but we knew they were going to get back in this thing, and they're about five games out now. So we knew that. And there's going to be a good team that's not going to be in the playoffs. And personally, I don't think that's going to be the Mets unless something crazy happens. Of course, that's what we said last year. The funny part here is what you saw the last couple of days is going to be a big part of whether this team, how well, how strong they finish. Because we know they have to beat the Braves to win the division. What, they have 15 games left with the Braves? I didn't really count totally. But about 20, going into this weekend, about 20% of their schedule is left with the Marlins. And I see everybody say, oh, the Marlins stink. They're 14 games out. The Marlins don't spend money. Look, the Marlins are not a great team, but the Marlins are not a pushover. The Marlins are like a 1990s. I'm going to do Here I'm going to do. I'm going to do my all our friend Anthony Rivera smiling somewhere. I'm going to make another NBA reference. The Marlins are like a 1990s NBA basketball game. And, and what do I mean by that? They're 83-80. Anything could happen. A lot of defense. Shot goes up. Any team could beat anybody. Shot goes up. You know, you want to use college basketball and and, then the the tournament. Anything could happen once you get into the late uh, stages of a basketball game. And when you play that slow, plotting, methodical, defensive-oriented, tight to the vest, can't nobody could break away kind of basketball game, all it takes is a couple turnovers and a three-pointer, and all of a sudden, that team that stinks beats you. And the Marlins, except for Friday, where I was surprised with Pablo Lopez on the mound, you wouldn't think that'd be a blot. Even then, they got plucky there at the end because the Mets were doing themselves in with some walks. Every game played a certain script. Close, down to the wire, needing big outs or big hits. And anybody could have won. I mean, the Marlins could have easily won all three games. I know that sounds crazy with the way the score was on Friday, but the Mets busted it open uh, with a big inning, a big seven-run inning and a Pete Alonso grand slam. So... I don't know where anybody thinks that they're going to be a pushover. They don't have a heck of a lot of offense. We'll see what this Encarnacion kid brings because he he seems to have some life. He's got to get around the league a little bit before you, you start to anoint him. Aguilar wasn't in the lineup. So you don't have a ton of offense there, but they have. If those guys are the Encarnacion kid and Aguilar back in the lineup, they got a little bit more pop. Soler, Chisholm is this Yazil Puig type guy. The pitching is good. I mean, Alcantara, you saw him today. You're going to face him a few times. That's old school. I mean, look how simple he makes pitching. He goes after hitters. I mean, he's got great stuff. He goes after hitters. He works quick, changes speeds, goes, you know, really doesn't buckle. He bends. When he bends, he doesn't break. He doesn't allow the big inning. And look, at you pretty much have yourself the prototypical starter that you want to go out there and go to war with at the top of your rotation. If they go through another, uh, I think he's making only like $17 million a year. He signed some kind of really value-driven contract. If they ever go through another dopey rebuild, they could get a ton for him. So really, the Marlins are going to be a thorn in the Mets' side, and, and there's no, there's not going to be any easy games in this division. you got to play 30-somewhat of the final, uh, you know, a third of their schedules going to be between the Braves and the Marlins. One team is the World Series champion. The other team is this plucky team in the division. So there is going to be a good team that doesn't make the playoffs. Now, is that the Mets? I don't think so. Is that the Phillies or the Brewers or the Braves? I don't know. Is it one of the West Coast teams like the Giants or the Padres? Look at the Dodgers going through. 
injury situation. So the question is, why would it be the Mets? Why is this going to be different? And why am I so annoyed by the constant negativity? And I know it's a Twitter thing, but it's not just Twitter. I talk to Mets fans who don't live anywhere near the Twitterverse, and they're like, oh, the other night against Milwaukee, got to win today. Got to win. Braves can't get within three games. And I'm like, there's really, very rarely do you have must-win games in June. Very rarely. I mean, they happen. But very rarely. Not when you're ahead four or five games in the division. Let's put it that way. So, is playing fundamental baseball the new market inefficiency? No, it's not driveline. It's not 98-mile-an-hour fastballs. It's not home runs and launch angle and some fancy advanced stats. Is it just doing basic, boring, simple baseball things like playing good defense, knowing the rules, knowing the cutoff man, moving the runner over, hitting the ball where it's pitched, uh, you know, trying to make contact even if it doesn't look sexy or it doesn't look good? Is that the new market inefficiency? Because the Yankees are doing a little bit. They have more home runs than the Mets. But, I mean, bringing in guys like uh, Kiner Falafa, uh, you know, all these no-name pitchers that uh, Brian Cashman or these, these, these value-driven pitchers, I shouldn't say no-name, value-driven pitchers that he's brought in. You see the Yankees doing it. With Billy Epler, who comes from the Bronx, who has a DNA of Cashman and Gene Michael and, and you know, goes back many, many, many years. He basically, and this this was a column a couple of weeks ago I mentioned a little bit, has built the Mets starting with going to his analytics team and saying, hey, we're going to play half our schedule at City Field. City Field is a place that's hard to hit home runs. Even with Pete Alonso, it's 13th in park factors for home runs for over a three-year period. And before that, before Alonso came in, because Alonso could hit it out of any place, doesn't matter if it's City Field, they were 21st. We've seen it when it's – forget about what they're doing with the ball and the humidors. It was like this at Chase Stadium. I think actually City Field is worse than Chase Stadium in some cases because the ball used to die at Chase Stadium. And maybe where it's positioned right off the, the water, how it's in where the old outfield was. You know, basically the outfield is pushed further out than where the Shea outfield was. Um, the ball doesn't carry in April. And this particular year, it's been – like we said, football weather to past Memorial Day. It was hazy, breezy this weekend. It was like Candlestick Park on Saturday. I thought that when I was watching that game, I was out watching that game at a nice uh, venue out here on Long Island, and I was watching the, the, the rappers fly. I thought I was watching a September game. I thought it was Saturday in September. It was a pennant race. Mets were playing the Marlins. College football was about to come on. It was 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and, uh, you know, we're, 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 you know, it's NFL Week 3 this Sunday. That's how it looked. It looked like, and it looked like Candlestick Park. Crazy, crazy weather. So that even adds more to the fact that you cannot go out there and have sluggers. Last year, the Mets were a team, because of the analytics department, because of the kind of philosophy they had on the Zach Scott, let's go out there, hit the ball hard, launch angle, and try to bludgeon teams. They brought in a guy, Javi Baez. That's his game. You really can't play that game up and down the lineup at City Field. So what has Billy Epler done? He's emphasized on base percentage. Not a really crazy it's, – it's an old concept that's still in vogue versatility of players so you can keep guys fresh and be able to move guys around when there's injuries good character good teammates I know that people think that that's corny but when you have a team and you want to be able to show you heard Nimmo show some of these guys who haven't won how it you know the situations and the and 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 what it takes to consistently grind through 162 game season yeah Buck could do it 
and Buck knows the rules, and Buck's had this treasure trove of experiences. I mean, he was talking about Billy Martin the other day when he was talking to the media. I mean, that goes back a long time when he was a coach on Billy Martin's staff. And, you know, that's great the manager does that, but at some point, the guy next to you in the locker, he's got to be able to kind of show you and 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 be uh, a symbol of everything you want, like an Eduardo Escobar. So when you start to look at the Mets, wasn't that win against Milwaukee the other day when they get a walk, a hit by pitch, a single by McNeil, they're down, what are they, down 4 nothing, or they were up one nothing. then they get down 4-1, Nito with a little two-out poke the other way, they're down 4-2, Canna gets a, a hole-of-one, home run, tie game, and then what do they do in the eighth inning? Single error, ground ball just enough to get the run in, go ahead, and then they make a nice relay to the plate to throw out a runner in the ninth when Diaz gets dinked and dunked, and they win the ball game. A blooper bleeder blast. Good funnies. A lot of little things. Here you go. You look up. 3-2 game. The Mets win. They have a big 7-run inning. They do the nice inning against Milwaukee. They do just enough in the opener. Yeah, Corbin Burns was great. There was nothing you could do there. And they're, they're playing 600 baseball. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes guys kind of doing their thing, staying within themselves. And even today, they didn't really go down quietly. They really weren't in it. You didn't feel they had that comeback in them. But look. If it was the other way around, the Mets were were up six two. You would be on your your edge of seat going, ah, one more guy gets on, this, uh, a guy get at home run, this game's tied. So, to me, the new market inefficiency is just going out there and playing good basic baseball. Let's forget about we are going to use analytics and data to kind of figure out where guys are and where they need to go. We understand that. You don't have to go out there and play fantasy baseball and have slugger, 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 slugger. Ah, who cares? Remember it was like, who cares about defense? Ah, you know, just hit the ball 900 feet. This is kind of interesting. I mean, this team is almost like I'm watching a team from the 80s or early 90s or even the turn of the century Mets. I mean, they had a good offensive team in 1999. You have Vittorio home runs, and it was Stardar, and you had Piazza. But you had guys like Sean Dunstan. You had uh, Alfonso, who was a power hitter, but he did a lot of little things, too. Olrud hit for power, but he was a guy that was a contact guy. Daryl Hamilton, the late Daryl Hamilton, um, Jay Payton. You could go on and on and on, and you get good bullpen out of those guys, and maybe they didn't have top-of-the-rotation guys. They certainly didn't have Scherzer or DeGrom, but they had Al Leiter. They had a lot of guys like a Chris Bassett that could get you in the sixth, seventh inning to be able to hand it over to a bullpen and try to get you the final you know, nine outs or seven outs or six outs or, or whatever it may be. So, to me, the other part of the equation is, and we'll get to that after the break, is these little, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Rays, like Joel Sherman talks about how the Yankees are the Rays on steroids now because not only do they have the payroll, they're, out to go, they're, they're able to go out there and get a guy like Holmes who's their closer. They're able to find guys that are, are, are not necessarily sexy names that all of a sudden are contributing at a very high level. Yeah, it's 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 nothing more than that. You could you know, it's not just about going out and getting the best player at every position. And I know that's what everybody's starting to talk about when it comes to the trade deadline. The Mets, Steve Cohen came out and said, you know, we're gonna go for the three hundred million dollar tax threshold, I don't care. But forget about Wilson Contreras and going out and trying to get the next big name. You know, what realistically, a team that right now has good energy, has good chemistry, uh, you gotta be real careful about how you bust this thing up. There is, you know, someone's going to be thrown off the island tomorrow. They got to get down to 13 pitchers. But that's just roster machinations. There's nothing you can do there. 
what does this team realistically, can they get? You know, are there options internally? By the way, the bigger the trade, the bigger the cost. Uh, I think we've talked about it. And the more we look at this team, and now with the McGill injury, because I think McGill's out for the long haul. I don't think you're going to, I don't, I would, wouldn't be surprised if you don't see him the rest of the year. Where do they go? Really, what's realistic and what do I see? I know SNY has run all like, you know, could you go out and get Luis Castillo, get this guy, this guy. Let's put big names aside for a minute and think about that. So the new market inefficiency are the New York Mets. We're excited. Nimmo says they're sustainable. I'm telling you, they were built to be sustainable. They got the manager in place. They're not a team that's one-dimensional. They're able to do a lot of little things. When teams like that have come to play the Mets over the years, they drove you nuts. Like, how did the Mets lose to these guys? Because they just do a lot of little things. You saw it throughout this homestand. But every team needs reinforcements. And we are in that. What do they need phase? You guys know it. What do they need? We're only like six weeks away, five, six weeks away from the trade deadline. And we're about four weeks away from it getting really hot with conversation about where guys are going. And, and, and it really crystallizing about who's really a seller and whatnot. And the, look, the National League's probably got about seven or eight teams that are really in it. So you've got six teams in the NL, but even the AL, there's a lot of teams in it. So you don't have a lot of options. So we're going to take a quick break. When I come back, we're going to talk about really, as we saw this week, really what what are, where do the Mets need to hone in? Because now that McGill is hurt, we see Scherzer on the horizon. We think we see, we hear a lot of good things about DeGrom. Have the needs changed? We'll talk about that and more right after this. Oh. Uh-oh. Took a little off, and he looked he like hurt? something bothered him. Did he hurt himself? Yep. Something's yes. wrong. Yep, he called for the trainer. Oh. Clearly, that pitch did not oh. go the way that he wanted it to. It was supposed to be a fastball, and it came out at 93. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, this is, uh, yeah, you see him rotating his arm. It was the biceps tendonitis that got him. He's over 64. Watch the throw. Watch immediately. You can see him wince. He winced as soon as he let it go. It supposed to be a fastball. He throws at 96, 97, 98. Came out at 93 and he called off the jam. So he is done. And that is certainly a troubling sign for every Mets fan. All right, we're back. Talking Mets podcast here. So before I get into... I've been looking a little bit at this Mets team and thinking about their needs, and I think we saw a lot about what they need this week. I mean, this homestand has really been a synopsis of a lot of things. I think today's game had some examples about where Buck is with his starters and where they really need the help. And before I get to that, uh, I was looking at the attendance numbers, and I got to tell you, and and I've been uh, telling everybody this, uh the Mets, have, and I know the weather hasn't been great, so I'm trying to understand that. The Mets are 11th in attendance. Now, they're averaging 31,000 fans, but that's only 1,000 more than, on average, than 2019 that they averaged throughout that year, pre-pandemic. I can't go by any of the pandemic numbers. Even last year, they had to, early in the year, it was hard. I didn't have ability to see what their attendance was after the restrictions were lifted. Now, the Yankees are averaging 5,000 people more, but they're down from over 40,000 in 2019. So the Yankees are down. You have teams like the Dodgers, of course, and St. Louis, and obviously the world champion Braves are averaging uh, you know, more. But 
it's disappointing because Atlanta's not a great sports town. Now, I know the demographics of our country are changing. And I'll, let's also remember, a lot of people fled New York. So I'm saying to myself, and I, I put it out there on Twitter, and you guys all had great comments, the obvious comments like the price of gasoline and food, and and obviously you're trying to balance your budget at home. And I heard so many people say, you know, it's it's like 30 bucks to park, and just to go with a couple of kids to a basic game is two, 300 bucks. And then the horrors of NJ Transit, and if you're afraid to take the subway and the 7 train, and even the Long Island Railroad is a big-time hassle to get over there, uh, especially if you're in Suffolk County like I am. You have to kind of switch over, or you got to drive to one of the lines that goes right into City Field. And quite honestly, between all the apps and everything that's going on, I mean, look, today I was able to watch the ball game. I was watching it inside on my big TV. I was able to go outside a little bit, enjoy the weather, watch it on my phone. When it got a little out of hand, I had it, but I would start my barbecuing. I mean, I would have probably just been getting home or maybe on the way home still if I was at the ballpark today. And I'm sure anybody who went to the ballpark for Father's Day had a great time. So I think it's interesting, and it's just an observation I have talked about, and, and the Mets haven't let this affect them because they have, had, they've have, they have a great home record. They've had, they seem to have a very good home field advantage. But it's just something to think about. So I'm just throwing that in there. Now, you heard the clip, Tyler McGill. And I think one of the reasons why the Mets were able to navigate, first, the Grom being out. And I told you guys when it first came down, you were going to be talking 4th of July. You were going to have your 4th of July barbecue plans already in your sights before DeGrom seriously was going to be discussed as taking the mound. And sure enough, that's what's happening. You were able to mitigate that by Tyler McGill coming out in the first five weeks of the season, pitching almost like DeGrom. I say almost because it's unfair to compare. And then Scherzer goes down along with McGill, and the Mets have been able to navigate with the Trevor Williams of the world and the David Petersons of the world. And kind of put together enough to get them to this point where the Braves make their run and they're five games up. Now it's at a point Bassett was struggling, but they still were able to overcome that. He seems to have righted himself uh, uh, to being the Bassett that we expected. Uh, Now you're at a point where you've managed to piece it together. The real thing is you're not sitting around waiting for Scherzer and waiting for DeGrom. You're still going out there and playing and winning with the cards in the hand that has been dealt to you. But we've been very honest from the start. This is not a championship team if they don't have those two guys. And if they don't have those two guys for the rest of the season, let's say knock on a lot of wood here. I'll knock for you guys. You could hear it. I think you could hear it. I don't, you know, then all bets are off about how that this NL East looks and how, you know, depending on what these other teams around them do, how easy it's going to be to be one of the six teams in the postseason in a very, very competitive league. So, you know, that a lot of what we're talking about here is predicated on those guys coming back. Now, knowing that the depth right now, and McGill was the number six that I think could have subbed in effectively and given a, as close to a number three and potentially at times top of the rotation performance. He subbed in very well last year uh, out of anybody there. You know, Peterson to me is a guy, the, the stats indicate that he's, not going to be able to go a third time around the order. I wonder if he's a reliever. Uh, we don't know a lot about these Connor Grays and some of these kids down in the minor leagues. It's it's at a point in the season where do you really want to take that chance? Uh, you know what veterans are honestly able going to be able to help. Uh, 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 you know, there's 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 guys that you just don't know. You know, do they have a Tommy Hunter type in the rotation uh, that that they can go to? 
Um, we don't know. You know, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see about that. So what exactly are we, have we changed our opinion on what the Mets need? Is a, ro- a rotation piece where they need to go? Well, I'm going to tell you all, all, first off, and I think I've pretty much decided this, and I don't think that anything other than even – I don't think any performance between now and July 3rd – well, it's actually August 2nd, the trade deadline, because I'm, I'm still antiquated. I still think of things like in the old days. Um, I think David Robertson is the acquisition they have to make, and I think you saw that today. I had no problem today with Buck pushing Bassett into the seventh. I, I cannot be a phony. I can't preach about pushing your starters to 110 pitches. You can't take them out 95 pitches, sixth inning all the time, especially in a situation where you've already got a couple, you, you had a good homestand. It's not like you had to win the game. There's your chance to push and start to prepare Bassett to maybe get you into the seventh inning and get you at least an out or two. You got a little unlucky. I think the Stallings at bat was the big key that just got by Lindor. A couple inches to Lindor, that's a double play, and they probably win the ball game. So the seventh inning today was pretty much where the game was won or lost. Wouldn't it have been nice to bring David Robertson in that game? Now, I know he's closing in Chicago. He could also back up Diaz here because at some point you might not want to go four and five on Diaz, especially if you had a stressful save. You don't want to burn the guy out. I mean, he's about as close to automatic as you're going to get there out of that bullpen. You don't necessarily trust Adovino because he walks guys. Lugo, who's the guy? I mean, there's I have no problem with him bringing in Lugo. But if this was Seth Lugo 2019, it's money. Seth Lugo since 2019, like every other middle reliever. You get some good, you get some bad, and, and away you go. Yes, I know Robertson falls into that. A lot of walks out of the pen. He's a guy that has a New York pedigree. Epler knows him from the Yankees. That's the guy you could have brought in, and I think that's the guy that could have got you in the outs. And it's almost like having a second closer. And then maybe you get take a little bit lower leverage out of Lugo and out of Vino. Maybe you could go out there and, and is a chafing available. Look, you might not even need a lefty. I mean, they talk about Michael Fulmer. Look at how the Cespedes trade could come full circle and help the Mets in another division run seven years later. Michael Fulmer, reliever, former starter, converted reliever out there in Detroit who's a free agent. So... I've pretty much made up my mind that Mets, Mets need a bullpen arm, and I think David Robertson's the guy. How much is that going to cost and how, how uh, willing are the Cubs to trade him and how competitive will it be for his services? I'm sure the Yankees might like to get in on that. I'm sure everybody might want to get in on that. I mean, if they know the Mets are in, in on it, why wouldn't you just get in on it just to keep him away from the Mets? So there's number one. Then the other thing here is, what do you have here? out of the bullpen before, you know, you go have to get Robertson. Do you need to do more? Do you need to go out and get a, a starter? Well, first, not going to be easy to get a starter. A guy like Luis Castillo is going to cost you. You go up and down. I got every single starter that qualified here from the best in the league, war-wise, and Kevin Gosman all the way down. You got basically 30 pages of starters. And if you go up and down, I mean, who who's going to be traded? You got Frankie Montas, not necessarily going to be cheap. Uh, I don't know if the, the A's would try to uh, Paul Blackburn. Uh, you know, you go up, uh, you know, Tyler Male is actually uh, uh, one of the top 15 pitchers in baseball right now. That's a guy we've talked about. Uh, you know, maybe that's a guy they could go after. But again, it's going to cost them a lot. So the question is, with McGill, 
you had an option that I think you wouldn't have to go out. Now you don't have that option. I'm not sure Peterson is any more than uh, a seven or eight option, you know, a five, six. He may, and, and really statistically, the problem with Peterson is he doesn't throw enough strikes to get it to the point where you, where they have to chase that slider. And the third time around the order, and that could come very quickly because he walks too many guys, walks four per nine, way too high. Uh, uh, the third time around the order, it's like everybody's an all-star. It's an OPS over 1,000. So you go from 500 to 1,000 very quickly. So can David Peterson become a reliever and maybe get that command uh, under control out of the bullpen with that vicious slider? Good question. Mitigates the need for another bullpen arm in terms of a second or a chafin or another lefty. Because this is all going to cost. Where's the starting depth going to come from? I don't know if it could come from a trade. You might have to start looking at these minor league options and say, hey, who's down there? Who's realistic? That could be my six, my seven, my eight. If Walker needs time on the DL. If Carrasco breaks down. God forbid Jacob DeGrom needs another stint or Scherzer. I mean, that's another whole thunderbolt in and of itself. Then the real question, and it was brought up earlier in the week, is what about a bat? You saw it today. You still have the Nick Plummer situation. Uh, JD, I know all the advanced metrics. He's hitting better. He had a big hit this week. A couple of big hits this week. But would Josh Bell look really nice? Nelson Cruz. What bats are available? But then we hear Francisco Alvarez. So here's a guy over the last couple of years, played in about 150-plus minor league games, has about 34 home runs, 39 doubles. But then you hear Andy Martino talk about pitch selection still being an issue. And I know everybody gets crazy about the catching situation. But catching for this team from now and for the foreseeable future, that's the next couple of years, is about game calling, managing a staff, catch and throw. I, I couldn't care what offense you get out of your catchers. Nito drives me nuts sometimes, uh, especially how slow he is. Oh, he was so slow on that double today. It's a good throw. But McCann is on his way back. Now, with McCann, I'm going to warn everybody that Hammond injury is going to suck his his power away. So you're going to not get a, a lot of power. You know, you're know, you not going to get the 15 to 20 home run guy that I think you expected when you signed them. But you can get the catch and throw guy. You can get a guy that could read swings. You get a guy that I really think they're missing a lot since he went down. I know Diaz has been really good in June, but I think Diaz struggled a little bit initially when McCann went down. And the yes, Scherzer going out of the rotation, and it's been better. Notice the coffee clatch comes back. The Scherzer and Bassett coffee clatch in the dugout, and all of a sudden the pitchers pitch better. I think getting McCann back behind the plate will help too, uh, especially with a Bassett who's like this frustrated artist on the mound who's got all these pitches. And even Walker now has a really deep repertoire. You really need to read. You know, Walker talked about even the weather helping him. You really need to read Carrasco, Walker, Bassett. These are not guys like McGill who are two-pitch pitchers. Now, going back to McGill, if that shoulder, and it's mechan- and, I, and I saw the, the interaction with Chris O'Leary. He's the guy who talks about pitching mechanics on Twitter, the pain guy. I think it's at the pain guy or something like that. Uh, you can look up Chris O'Leary on Twitter. Uh, his mechanics are, are, are very much bad. I mean, they, they're late. Watch is still a McGill. He's, his shoulder's way late. His arm's way late. He's probably going to have Tommy John surgery or other issues. Uh, I think we're starting to see, and I don't know if the bullpen will help him, but it will mitigate the innings and the workload, that this is a guy who has, first of all, two pitches, and he's been able to navigate uh, uh, starting and going through a couple of times around the order, and sometimes the third time around the order, with only really two pitches. And he hasn't really developed his third pitch, which is slider. It's fastball changeup. And that really, and that's what I've had people who saw him in college talk about to me 
that's where they all saw him fall when they were scouting him. But, I mean, is that a guy that could come out of the bullpen? So you get yourself a David Robertson, which is your veteran that really, kind of like how they got Tyler Clippard back in 2015. He's your second closer. You see if Peterson could help you out in some way, shape, or form, especially if Joely Rodriguez continues to stink up the joint. And then does McGill come back, and can he be that guy in a very short stint? You keep him to about 20, 25 pitches. And maybe you don't do back-to-backs. Maybe you treat him a little like Lugo a couple of years ago. If you have depth with Lugo, with Adovino, with uh, maybe a Robertson coming in, Drew Smith, uh, you know, Colin Holderman maybe comes back in the mix. I mean, there's a lot of ways this could go. Then maybe you don't need to go out and get as much. But I'm going to tell you right now, they're going to have to really, with Tommy Hunter now in the mix and what have you, they're going to really have to do a lot of what the Yankees have done and figure out, do they have options in-house? Because I am going up and down and looking at these trade options and looking at the shrinking market. And I told you this last week, and I don't want to have this conversation every week, but it is not going to be easy to get something without it being painful in terms of prospect capital. Forget about money and cost. Forget about it. And, you know, we're all talking about in the on the bat side, Alvarez, um, you know, I'm not so sure that this is going to be like a Tatis Jr. or a Vlad Jr. No, look, they brought up Conforto in 2015, so never say never. What he is now, what he is six, seven, eight weeks from now, a lot could change because they said they weren't bringing up Conforto back then and they needed him. So, but Alvarez would be an interesting DH option. I mean, for sure. You want to throw the kid at a DH, that's the easiest way you could throw him in and bat him down in the order. You're not expecting anything. Now, if he becomes Kelnick and and he he flops, uh, what does that do to him mentally? We don't know. We don't know a lot about the guy's makeup. What I do know uh, is that I don't necessarily want him catching the staff. I don't want him learning on the job here. It's actually a really tough spot for Alvarez when you think about it, because he's coming into a team at a time when they're they're old, one of the oldest teams, if not the oldest team in the league. I think this is the oldest team in the league. They have pitchers that are craftsmen and are very difficult to deal with, assuming they're here past this year, some of these guys. And you're asking a kid who's in double-A Binghamton in the old Eastern League, I don't know what it's called now, I don't care, to manage that staff, too much to ask. So really, when you look at it, there are options out there to trade, but the Mets have to start to think, are there acceptable internal options? Because they may have to, similar to bringing up Conforto in 2015, they may, and bringing up Syndergaard, and bringing up Mats like they did that year. They may have to think about that here. It's not that easy just to go out and get what you want, even when you have the biggest payroll. It's not about spending money on free agency here. It's about prospect capital. And you see how quickly this year, even with, I mean, they've had, I wouldn't say they've had great health, but they haven't had disastrous health. They've had much worse seasons. How quickly your depth gets tested, you know, for sure. So, you know, that's where we're at in the getting, you know, in the, uh, you know, what do they need phase here? of the Mets. And I think it's something to be interesting. Still continue to look at Alvarez. I wouldn't just put him in. I mean, Alvarez going Gaga. Martino came out. I trust him with his sources. He basically said, this kid still has a little bit to learn, not just behind the plate, but with pitch selection. You get up to the big leagues, you face a guy like Alcantara, big difference than playing those double-A kids. I know the gap is shrunk, but I'd like to see a little bit of triple-A baseball in him. You know, look, even with this kid that came up, uh, Encarnacion, let him, you know, he played 50 games of triple-A before the Marlins brought him up. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Francisco Lindor has had a weekend, had a big hit today. Would have been an even better weekend if they were able to close the deal. 
very quickly, the conversation we had on Twitter, and I wanted to bring this to the airwaves, was where does he stand in the history of Mets shortstops? Because it's a short list of quality shortstops. You got Jose Reyes, Buddy Harrelson, and then really nobody else. But uh, Lindor is quickly, in this season, He may, I don't know if it'll be the best overall season from a Mets shortstop. But he's quickly getting into the Pantheon, and he probably will be the Mets' statistically best shortstop within the first three or four years of this contract. If not, when it comes to wins above replacement and metrics with the eye test and what have you. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, Francisco Lindor, his renaissance here in year two as a New York Met, and where we see him early on in terms of standing with other shortstops in team history. We'll be back with that and more right after this. Here's La Tortuga. Astadio hits it deep in the hole. Lindor gets away the quick throw. Three hops to Alonso right on target. And La Tortuga is retired. And that's toward the middle of the diamond. Lindor with the backhand and a quick throw. And safe. Close play. After review, the call on the field is overturned. That's a fine play. It's been a big night for Lindor already. And Rojas bounces one in the hole. Lindor with a running throw on target. And that's another fine defensive play by Lindor for the first down. All right, we're back. So you heard the smorgasbord of good plays from Lindor on Friday. Big home run on Saturday. Big two-out base hit today. Some more good plays. I mean, the Stallings ground ball, part of me was like, ah, could he have gotten to that? He was maybe shaded a little too far over. The ball was hit. It really begs the question, what do we like about Lindor? I mean, I think we know who he is offensively. I think he's a guy that could hit 260, 270. Seems to be a guy that could drive and runs, hit home runs. I think offensively we know who he is. He's not A-Rod. He's not Jeter. Uh, but he is a guy that could pop you 20 home runs, 25 home runs. He could probably drive you 85 to 90 runs. He could probably steal you 15 to 20 bases. He's a very useful offensive player. He defensively, and I think this is the real question long-term is, is he a product of the shift? He doesn't have the best arm, but he knows how to properly throw the ball and place it so that it gives that sweet bounce. And you heard that in some of those... Um, clips that coming in to Alonzo. I mean, he doesn't have the arm of, of a Reyes or, or certainly of a Ordonez, uh, but he seems to, and Buck has compared him, and I don't have the clip. I wish I could have played it for you guys. I'm sure you heard it. Compared him almost to a point guard and how he sees the court in a way, and he sees, there's that NBA reference again, uh, our friend Anthony Rivera from Somebody Shea, who co-hosted a couple of weeks ago. You know, we were talking about that. So, um, um, you know, he, he could see the court, and, and it, it kind of makes up maybe for some athletic deficiencies he has versus some of the better athletic shortstops that are out there or guys like, uh, you know, Reyes or Adonis. Now, UZR is not kind to Lindor this year. I think he's got a negative UZR, but he is in the top 10 in shortstops in terms of overall uh, defensive war. So he's not terrible. Now, I don't think this is going out on a limb. I think the best shortstop in Mets history from a defensive standpoint was Ray Ordonez. I saw Ray. Ray played when shifts were not a thing. Uh, tremendous range. Uh, got to everything. Strong arm. 
The only knock was he would make errors because he'd get to balls and throw them uh, and try to get guys out. Uh, he wasn't like Lindor where he'd try to bounce it over to John Olrood or whoever was playing first base, Todd Zeal. He tried to, to, to hit the target, even if he was deep in the hole. Um, and his range, I don't think he needed a shift because his range more than made up for it. Be curious to see on Ordonez, would you even shift him knowing how much ground he could cover in today's ball game? Now, Reyes probably, not probably, is the best overall shortstop in team history from both sides of the ball. Has the best season from a shortstop in team history. Uh, advanced stats say 2006, almost six wins over uh, above replacement that year. 2007, just squished behind. That's when he actually learned a little bit of plate discipline and did his best Ricky Henderson impression that you, Ricky was a coach on that team that you could possibly have. And... You know, he he had injury problems, and then to a certain degree, Jose's defense was a little bit overrated. And I think that's where, when you look at Lindor and you look at the total package he offers on both sides of the ball, he's not the extreme defensive presence that Ordonez was, and Ordonez couldn't hit, never learned how to hit. And he's not, he's probably a, not probably, he's a better hitter than Reyes was. Maybe Reyes in his prime, 06, 07, lesser degree, 08, his, you know, vintage Reyes, before he got hurt. Um, you know, he doesn't steal as many bases. The game is a lot different than it was back then. But I think he's a better all, you know, more power, better clutch hitter. I think a little more awareness to game and score. So when you look at the two extreme shortstops that have been with the Mets in terms of their entire history, Lindor takes a lot of what Ardonias does and, and he's not as good, but brings more intelligence to the defensive side of the ball, less instinct and athleticism, and Reyes was always an overrated def- uh, uh, defensive player because he, I mean, the old story was that Jose Valentin made the team because they felt him playing second base helped keep Reyes focused because he used to, you know, maybe not always pay attention and would figure, I'll just make it up with my quick first step, but that's not defense. Defense is reading the swings. Defense is understanding the game and the situation, and, and that's where Valentin who had a very good year with the glove that year, and it's an old pro, was a big help. Not to mention the fact that he had 20 home runs, but that's a whole other story. So I always thought Reyes was overrated defensively, had a good arm, made up for a lot, but didn't always utilize the quick step or the range in the way that maybe his athleticism would have dictated that he should have been. I mean, he should have been. He was advertised as Ordonez who could hit. And I think he was not as good as Ordonez on the defensive side, but he certainly could hit. So Lindor does both of these things. And I think we need to get away with Lindor now. And I know that it's, uh, he, you know, he was slumping just going into this homestand. I think he was in a buck 60 in June. But I think we need to get away from the contract and the years and us all thinking that he was going to be Tatish Jr. or A-Rod because he's not. And starting to appreciate, and we've talked about this, and I'm, re- I'm reframing because I've been guilty of this too. The whole dating before you get married and all that goofiness that I, and I'm putting that in the closet. That's over. There's no reason. You could take that off the bingo card, guys. Um, To appreciate a guy that may not be perfect offensively, but seems to know how to drive runs in, seems to be able to produce at a high level, and does a lot of things good. And I think Bucks uh, really describes him as an energy guy. And as a guy with a lot of, uh, uh, like he said, field presence. One of the things that someone in spring training last year told me that was down, I talked to someone who, who was in spring with the Mets. They felt that, they liked what about Lindor is that he talked a lot on the field. Not just chitter-chatter like you heard when he was mic'd up, but really trying to make sure everybody was in the right position and 
and everybody was moving in the right direction with where they need to be and what they need to do and where they need to go. And I think you heard a lot about that when um, he was mic'd up. And was it against the Phillies on Sunday Night Baseball? I can't remember. But I think you saw a little bit of that at that point. Look, you know, just go to Baseball Reference if you're a Stathead member. Uh, Reyes for his career was 28 wins above replacement. Lindor in just a year and change is almost five wins above replacement. Better than Rosario, who had a pretty good 2019, by the way. Uh, better than Kevin Elster in his career. And, you know, within two or three years, he'll surpass Buddy Harrelson. I never saw Buddy play. I know him. There's a lot of you guys that are, you know, big Mets fans from the 70s that probably say, hey, I saw Buddy. I'm sure Buddy was one of those old school short-handed shortstops, two hands. I, I can't speak to his range. You want to email me, Mike Silva, talk him at podcast.com. I'd love to hear your takes on Buddy Harrelson and how he compared to an Ordonez or a Reyes. And, and my take that really, right now, I don't think it's going uh, out on a limb. This is the best shortstop in Mets history. He's already established that. He takes all the good uh, on the defensive side and all the good on the offensive side about the two best current shortstops in the team and blends them into a better overall player. He's maybe not in a vacuum as good as, certainly not as good as Ardonia's defensively, and maybe you like Reyes 06 better, but I think this guy's a better, I mean, this guy's a better offensive player, more impactful offensive player, and he's a guy that knows how to, he's a little bit more cerebral about the game than Jose Reyes was. And I saw that, it's ironic that we're talking about it, and it was one of the reasons why I brought it up, and I was going to do a short segment on this, because Reyes was at the ballpark, they announced he's coming back to Old Timers Day. It's really weird, a guy that was so beloved, and there was so much anger about Reyes leaving as a free agent after he won the batting title in 2011, and I understand it, you know, what he did in the domestic violence situation has really take the bloom off the rose, where unlike Wright, it's like Reyes is there, but and they don't hate him, but there's almost that arm's length relationship between him and the fans, and um, and I understand it. There's not much you could do there, and I guess it's up to Jose at some point to, if he wants to, win them back over. I think coming back from Old Timers Day is part of that. Certainly not going to talk about his issues from that time, but anyway, so be it. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to have a little bit of fun. It is Father's Day. I don't want to just go away yet. I promised you weeks ago baseball movies. I'll give you a little teaser what who I voted for as my favorite baseball movie. You're going to kill me. I know it. You're going to kill me. We'll talk about that right after this. After 19 years in the big leagues, 40-year-old Billy Chappell has trudged to the mound over 4,000 innings. But tonight, he's pitching against time. He's pitching against the future, against age, against endings. Tonight, he will make the fateful walk to the loneliest spot in the world, the pitching mound at Yankee Stadium, to push the sun back up in the sky and give us one more day of summer. Universal Pictures presents... like to be kissed. How does this work, Billy? Little boys buy cards with your picture on they, them. They buy those for the gum. of the game. So are you my mom's boyfriend? I'm not sure. But you've slept with her.
heard the trailer for the for the love of the game you probably know who i voted for you're probably going to kill me like how can you do it so anyway we talked a few weeks ago i was cranky after the mets mariners that bad loss on a sunday that i thought the mets should have won and i had said that i was going to talk about baseball movies and I, I sent you guys to the brackets the mlb bleacher features on mlb.com of course it was closed and anyway i'll just give you who the, it's almost like a, a tournament you know uh NCAA tournament field. So it's Field of Dreams, Angels in the Outfield, The Natural, For the Love of the Game, The Sandlot, The Perfect Game, uh, The Rookie of the Year, The Bad News Bears, A League of Their Own, Rookie, uh, The Rookie, uh, 42, Eight Men Out, Major League, Trouble with the Curve, Bull Dorm, Moneyball, all of these within. So I basically voted for Field of Dreams over Angels in the Outfield, For the Love of the Game over The Natural, The Sandlot over The Perfect Game. I don't think I saw The Perfect Game. I don't remember. Rookie of the Year and the Bad News Bears. I voted for the Bad News Bears. I've, it's been a long time since I watched that show. A League of Their Own over the Rookie. Uh, that's when the kid breaks his arm and I guess starts throwing. He's a Cubs player, I believe. Or is that Rookie of the Year? I can't remember. Uh, eight Men Out over 42. Because I think Eight Men Out was a... I mean, I, I'm a little biased. I watched that when I was a younger kid. 42 was a great film. It was a great film. But I, there was some statistical inaccuracies, inaccuracies. I know Eight Men Out had that too. But... I just eight men out to me because of the story, and I—I I mean, I, I think that it's just my thing. It has nothing to do. I mean, I just—I just—that's my personal preference. That one was a tough one. That could go either way. Major League Trouble the Curve was a good a good film, but Major League one of the favorites. And I thought that way maybe where I'll go because no matter what you're doing, when the original Major League comes on, you got to watch it, right? And then Moneyball over Bull Durham. I always felt Bull Durham. I know there was the Nuke Lelouch and Kevin Costner, and Costner always plays that great broken-down ball player. Obviously, I voted for the, for the love of the game over the natural. But uh, Moneyball was kind of—I I thought that was a good story, too, because it brought in the parent, the parent situation, the child, you know, how the game was changed. It, it had that drama. Uh, and maybe—not maybe, obviously, it's more contemporary to me, so I'm biased. So then I go to the next one. I vote for the love of the game over Field of Dreams. The Sandlot over the Bad News Bears, A League of Their Own over Eight Men Out, because I think that's a really cool film. I think Tom Hanks does an excellent job, and I think that's a, a part of history that's underreported, the Women's Baseball League. Uh, and then Major League over Moneyball. I just love Major League. Now, this is where it got tough, guys. For the love of the game, The Sandlot, A League of Their Own, and Major League in the Final Four. So I vote for Major League over League of Their Own because I just can't not love that film. And what's driving me crazy is now they're called the Guardians, so it's almost like they're not even the – it's almost like you destroyed by taking the Indians away. You destroyed a great film. What are they going to do, remaster it and put Guardians on their uh, helmets? Are you going to destroy a great film over that? And then The Sandlot, which was a really fun film when I was a kid, and I'm sure a lot of you loved it too that are my contemporaries in your 40s or even maybe a little older – and for the love of the game, see, for the love of the game, I voted for again. And then I have for the love of the game in Major League. And that's like asking you to pick between your uh, two kids when it comes to baseball movies. And the reason I picked for the love of the game is a couple of reasons. One, I think Costner did an excellent job with his portrayal of basically Jack Morris. I thought the way they did the, the stadium. And, they, and I remember I was at St. John's at the time when they were filming that. And they asked for people to come over to Yankee Stadium. And I think they only got... 3,000 people, and they were just moving them around to make the stadium look full. How they wove the drama of a perfect game, the story of the guy's career, his love life, the daughter, you know, the stepdaughter, all the things about baseball. It was a baseball movie, but it was a movie that you can take your girlfriend, your significant other, your wife, whatever, your female, your husband, whatever, 
and you can uh, appreciate something, even if you're not a true, real hardcore baseball fan. And to me, that's what makes a perfect baseball movie. And I've I've said this on this show many, many, many times. This is not a new thing. So when I saw this bracket, it was the first thing. I was like, I think I'm going to vote for Love of the Game, but I got to really feel it. So some of these admittedly, like uh, Rookie of the Year and The Rookie, I'm trying to remember which one is which, like with the kid with the broken arm. I think that's Rookie of the Year. The Rookie of the Year is probably with the, as the manager of the Twins. See, those, I just think they're, they're kiddie movies. I can't get into them, so I don't, it didn't really matter to me. I, I, right now, I'm going back to it, and I'm trying to click on it. And, of course, you know, MLB.com just you know, says, all right, get back. We'll get back to you with round two and all this other stuff. You know, round three, final, winner, all that other stuff. So um, I don't know if you guys agree with that. You could obviously give me your opinion. I'd love to hear your favorite baseball movies. Do you agree for the love of the game? You know, beating out Major League is a big deal. Obviously, a league of their own. I mean, look, the four best ones I picked was for the love of the game, the Sandlot, a league of their own major leagues. Moneyball's probably the next one out. I mean, you saw where my, my I mean, again, I'm a product of baseball movies in the 80s where you had Aitman out and Field of Dreams and things like that. And Field of Dreams is a, is a, is a, is a great, great, great uh, film. And I, I think you could make arguments about also that being like, and they, they squared off each other in the second round for the love of the game, also having that, father-son moment in there and all that stuff and and that that it's not romance but it's that other thing that brings us together with baseball when it comes to family so this this was tough there's so many good movies and i think that's the thing about baseball there's really good movies that you could help build and grow the game they're not new movies they're not necessarily uh you know have to be digitally remastered they don't have to have all these sexy graphics or you know have a political agenda like every movie seems to have to throw something down your throat and give you a history lesson or lecture you about something. They're just fun. They're just fun. And they have like some uh, moment that gets you. So for the love of the game, that's my movie. That's what I picked. I think that's kind of where you want to have the most. Ba- they talk about Lindor being a balanced version of Ordonia's and Reyes. For the love of the game is a balanced movie. You get the romance. You get the wife. You get the husband. You get the family. And you get uh, baseball and, you know, pitching a perfect game against the behemoth. I mean, that's a, when that movie came out in 1999, you're coming off the 98 Yankees. The Yankees were like this. Yankee Stadium was this scary place. I mean, think about it. The guy's on a second division club trying to pitch the last game of his career. I mean, Vince Scully was incredible in that film. And uh, you get everything. from a ba- I mean, it was well done baseball-wise, I have to say. Well done. And it's at one of those, just like Major League just like the Sandlot, all those that I got into the Final Four. If they're on and I have a free moment, I like to watch them. I know that uh, a league of their own has been getting a little bit more play as we try to expand baseball and try to include uh, you know, more people under the baseball umbrella. I know they're trying to bring back a league of their own. I think I was away. It's actually away a couple of months ago in the hotel, and it was popping on, and I didn't get a chance to watch it because you're on vacation. You're doing other things, but I was able to watch about 10 minutes of it, and, and Tom Hanks is great in that. So... I promised you I'd get back to you about baseball movies. We could always have more conversations. Send me a note. Maybe I could read some of your quotes on the air or your comments. You want to send me a tweet, whatever. Uh, you know, If you haven't watched some of those movies, go check them out. On a day off, Mets have a bunch of days off coming up. It's going to be great. Going to get Scherzer back. Going to get DeGrom back. Days off, lineup rotation. If you, if you don't want to get away from the game for a day or two on the days off, watch one of these movies if you haven't watched them. And then send me a tweet or send me a Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Send me an email there. 
All right, we'll take a quick break, wrap up. I will get to it. I got myself, or no, hot water was thrown at me on Twitter. I'll address it, and we'll wrap up right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Uh, I see some of you guys are reacting on Twitter to my comment about attendance saying, you know, you have to make the tickets real cheap. I really think you do. You have to mitigate some of the cost of inflation to get people out to the ballpark to offset the parking you know, get people in the ballpark. Hope that at that point, once you're in the ballpark, the impulsive buy with the food, the drinks, the souvenirs comes into play. At some point, and I mean, look, Father's Day and you could get like bobblehead days, they're going to get people. That might be the impulse that drags you there. Uh, you're going to have to give relief to the consumer. And my thing is you could dump these tickets on the secondary market and see what those guys get. But more importantly, I think if I was sitting there and I'm not an expert on this stuff, but I do know sales and I do more marketing a little bit and I don't know sports event marketing and arena business, but I have to think you start looking at the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and these nights, even when you get into the summer schools out. And I understand that there's still people who are very much concerned about COVID. I get it. I'm not criticizing it at all. And that plays into it. So maybe there's nothing you can do, but. You really have to say, hey, we got to, you know, we, the parking is what it is. I think the, the the city probably has a piece in that, too, if I think. I know it's it's Queens Baseball Company, I think you have to pay to. I don't know how the parking necessarily works there. I'm sure the city has a hand in that. And, you know, you, you, the cost of transportation in general is going to be expensive, even if you take public transportation, uh, especially if you're not in New York City taking a subway. You got to figure out a way to offset some of the exorbitant cost of food and water and beer and and whatever by getting people. Once you get people in the ballpark, then money can be made. I very rarely do I think they go there and not spend anything. You could try. It's tough. So I'm glad you guys like that and whatnot. So, all right. So I get myself in hot water on Twitter. I decide to go out and say, look, you know, you guys all have known they're doing a thing, corrupt baseball, trying to uh, honor pride, you know, and it went bad in Tampa. It went bad in St. Louis. Players didn't want to wear the uniforms citing religious beliefs, political beliefs. And it's a shame that really what the message is, is let's all just live and let live. And and, and everybody has, um, you know, anybody could really have a relationship with anybody else. And, 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 and we kind of have to be more open-minded about that. And there's nothing wrong with any of that message. I do think it's simplistic for anybody to believe that putting that on a ballpark, uh, you know, a sign, a banner, a uniform and not thinking because even though in concept, like everybody came after me and said, how can you dare you even say that this is political? Um, In concept, it is going to get political. So I just said, I thought the Mets did the pride night very well. They respected other groups opinion, but didn't throw in the face of players and those who aren't into it with jerseys, constant PSAs. You can be diverse and respectful without sounding phony or indoctrinating. I guess the word opinion bothered people. Um, I, I thought lifestyle would have been more offensive. I was trying to be as vanilla as possible, and maybe by that, I could see where the tweet, you probably read some things into it. Here's the bottom line. 
it is a lifestyle. It is a way of life. It is the way you're born. I'm not one to judge. All I know is it's controversial when it comes into bringing it into a family environment, which a ballpark is supposed to be. And politics and sports is not a good mix because there's you're always going to get 50% of the fan base that's going there that loves the team not being happy about what they see. So I think the way the Mets did it, where they made it available, they made it respectful, they made the players go in. I mean, it was Taiwan Walker went into the team store and tried to encourage people to buy merchandise and whatnot. I don't know if they did anything in terms of charity. I wasn't there at the ballpark. But I, I did not feel watching that game on TV that like some other things that come up, uh, you know, uh, just commercials, whether it be a marketing commercial or a, a commercial that right now is running a lot that maybe the city of New York throws in your face about a certain, uh, you know, something to do with the medical uh, situation. It feels like over and over and over again, it's like, do it, do it, do it, listen, watch, watch, watch. And at some point, yeah, it does feel like indoctrination. It's like, hey, I get it. I'm not really interested. Sorry. It's okay that you are, but I'm here to watch the game. The Mets didn't do that. You know, Canis sent out the tweet. Scherzer's wife sent out a tweet. Walker sent out a tweet. All good stuff. You didn't put any player in a position where they may not want to um, wear that uniform. Whether you like that or not, that is. There are people that actually – see, this is the thing. You can't say you want tolerance and then be intolerant about another person's view because saying, well, that's a bad point of view. I mean, there are bad point of views, but if somebody's at some, there is a reality, especially with a large uh, Latino community in baseball that are not necessarily because of their religious beliefs going to feel that Pride Night is a good thing. And I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying all that was, all I went to say is this was a third rail situation. They've been trying to think about doing this for a couple of years. Daniel Murphy had issues with this, if you remember, years and years ago. I think he got into trouble because of his religious beliefs. And this could have went always wrong. And by the way, other than this stupid tweet, there was no talk about it in any way, shape, or form. So personally, if you're listening, and I don't know how many of the people who came after me really even listen or listen to this show or even Mets fans. I know Susan Slusser, who is out in San Francisco and covers the Giants, came after me on it. You know, the bottom line is this. Your lifestyle is your lifestyle. Your beliefs is your beliefs. Who you like and how you like them and why you like them, I don't care. Uh, personally, relationships, and I know people brought up the kiss cam and all this stuff. That's, I've never really been totally comfortable with that either. I never really cared for that either. Um, and I've been on that with my significant other. I've actually been on a kiss cam in my life. It was a while ago, but I've been on it. Um, I wasn't always crazy about that either. I also don't like a lot of tension being brought to me. Now, I will say this, and I don't think it's ever been done in, in a negative way. For people to come after my comment, and this disrespect and diss and say things like, you know, the, the, the military is a bad thing. Let me tell you something, okay? Um, I'm not always the biggest fan of some of the military uniforms, the camo uniforms. I don't think they always look great. I have no problem with them. I have no problem with them honoring people in the military. By the way, if not for the people in the military, people that I'm sure that are listening that are in the military, I know my grandfather served in World War II. I'm sure you've had people who've served in Vietnam in your family or Desert Storm One or Iraq or Afghanistan or... World War II or Korea, you know, whatever. Without those guys, we're not doing this right now. And that's fact. That's not opinion. We can all talk about all these other issues, social issues. And to you to come at me and disrespect the military, to me, that's over the top. It's your opinion. I'm not going to not 
you know, you could gladly do it. I'm not going to, you know, take you to task on Twitter. I'm going to be more tolerant. But think twice before you do that. Because without the American military, there ain't no Pride Night. There ain't no talking Mets. There is no MLB. We're probably not even doing this. God only knows where we are. Go read some things that are going on in other countries right now. You'll see what I'm talking about. So that's it. I don't. I know I don't want to, I hate to end on a negative note, but I wanted to explain the tweet. I really, it came from a great place. I think the Mets did an outstanding job. I think the Mets are trying to make a very diverse New York community embrace their team in a way that I don't know if the Yankees can. The Yankees are still this corporate entity. And Steve Cohen, being a guy from Wall Street, being a guy that has a bad reputation, to me, and he and his wife, Alex, have been nothing but progressive since they got here, trying to change. Because in Queens, in New York, if you are not open to different types of heritages, different types of lifestyles, and if you don't like that term, I'm sorry, that's all I have for you. That's all I can give you in terms of how I could describe it. Okay, different type of beliefs that are are not dangerous ideologies because there has been dangerous ideologies that have been pushed in sports in recent years that I talked about. Sid Rosenberg came on and talked about it a couple of years ago. And I'm sorry, there are dangerous ideologies. I don't think that this Pride Night went down that path. Remember, bad people use every situation to take a good thing and go to the dark side with it. And unfortunately, heritage nights, military, anything like that, any kind of night, that can happen. So, you know, keep on having these nights, keep on including people, but hey, let's not turn it into a uh, CNN, Fox News, or any kind of history lecture. I don't want to be lectured by a ball player, by a uniform. I don't. And neither do a lot of other people. And understand that, you know what, a lot of what we're able to do in this country is a privilege. So... That's my little PSA going off. Probably not going to go over great. I don't care. Don't listen if you don't like me. I love every single person that listens to this show. And I don't care what the hell you like or don't like. As long as you don't infringe on my uh, freedom, which certainly the Mets did not do with what event they held on Friday. It was, uh, it was well done, tastefully done. I thought Tyler Walker did a nice job. I thought Mark Canna did a nice job. And I thought the team did a nice job. And it looked like a really fun, festive atmosphere. And that's really good for the New York Mets, and that's good for the Mets brand. So, all right, you can check me out all the time. That's it. I got nothing more for you. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. You can send me a tweet. They're sending them at Mike Silva Media. And, of course, you can get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week back on the Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Beat the Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Head for the podcast.
What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opry ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.